long time ago, somebody made the profound observation that those people who have a compelling why, a compelling why that they live by, can bear almost any how. How did this happen to me? How will I survive this? How will I go on? I want to talk to you this morning about the why. We live in a culture that's obsessed with how. Bookstores and infomercials, pop-up ads on the internet offer all kinds of offers about how. How to make money, uh, how to lose weight, how to be happy, how to get a house, how to flip a house, how to get a kid, how to flip a kid. It's just, on on it goes. We just, we don't have many infomercials or pop-up ads about why. Why do I do what I do? Why do I keep knocking myself out? Why, why do I work so hard? What is the why that's big enough to live for when all the how just isn't enough anymore? I want to talk to you about the why. And I want to talk some more about the church's why. And you heard a little bit about it just a few minutes ago. And to suggest to you that that great why can be yours as well. That why came to the human race in the strangest of ways. This is from the New Testament. I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. Here is the great why coming into the world. Matthew 4, verse 18. Jesus was out walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus calling. (laughs) There you have him, Jesus, one day out walking. This former carpenter, he's out on the docks. He comes across a couple of dock workers. They're fishermen cleaning their nets. The implication in Matthew's language is Jesus is just out for a stroll. He wasn't vectored in on these two people in particular, but just as a kind of way of saying that, that I can use anyone. Jesus could have landed on anyone. But when he lands on them, these two fishermen, he speaks the words that would rock their lives and change the world forever. A simple imperative, a command and an invitation at the same time. Follow me. It's the great invitation to the human race. Follow me, Jesus said, and your life will be about more than just fishing for a living. Follow me, and you'll have a purpose that's nobler to pursue than just being successful in your work. Follow me, and you'll learn the only why that really matters, to love God, to to love with your heart and soul and mind and strength, and find the capacity to love others in a way that has eluded us for too long. That's our why. Follow me, Jesus said, and you will know God. Follow me and you'll be undone by grace. Follow me and you'll be healed by mercy. Follow me and I will give you a compelling vision of eternity. Follow me and I will give you a hope that is stronger than death. And you will feed the hungry and you will serve the lonely and you will serve the forgotten. And with God's power, you're going to change the history of the world one life at a time. Follow me. And I'll send you out fishing for people. 
They'd never received an offer like this ever before. Nobody had ever spoken to them like that. And then they had to decide, as we still do, they had to establish both the the depth of conviction and the need for response. There's a writer, a guy named John Maxwell, who told a story years ago about, about a famous fisherman living in a small town. It's a goofy story. I'll tell you right away. It's a terrible story. But, but it gets at the idea of a response, the need for a response. One day, a stranger shows up in town, seeks out this fisherman, finds him, and asks if he'll act as a guy. Will you take me out to fish? And so they meet up the next morning, 5 a.m., they push off in a small rowboat. The first thing the stranger notices is there's no tackle box, there's no fishing rods, there's no reel. Nevertheless, he trusts them. They get out into the middle of the lake. The guy reaches into a tattered old knapsack, takes out a stick of dynamite, lights it, chucks it into the lake, boom! And then a pile of fish float up to the top, which he picks up with his net and gathers into the boat. (laughs) Stranger reaches into his pocket, pulls out a badge, game warden. He says, you're under arrest. Very calmly, the stranger reaches back into his bag again, grabs another stick of dynamite, lights it, hands it to the ranger and says, are you just going to sit there or are we going to fish? <laughs> Told you it's a terrible story. But, but really, that's what Jesus is doing. He comes to these two simple fishermen and he hands them the explosive news of the gospel. That the presence of forgiveness, the power of God, of love, the favor of God, not just for them, but for all the earth is available in a fresh new way. And they get to be part of it. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said in Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who comes to trust him. The word that Paul uses for power, would it surprise you? Is the Greek word dunamos. Guess which word we get from that? Dynamite. Jesus takes out a stick of gospel dynamite. He lights it. He gives it to them and says, are you just going to sit there or are we going to fish? And all at once, it says in Matthew 4, verse 20, all at once they left their nets And they followed him. We don't know why, except we do. The gospel doesn't say why, but it gives us enough clues. This was the chance of a lifetime. And there was something so compelling, not just about the invitation, but about the man who invited them, that they, they dropped it. And they followed him. They set aside their nets. Everybody has their nets, right? You do, I do. Our nets are our security. Our nets are our identity. This is the familiar part of our world. This is the thing that sometimes we have to leave behind to take the next big courageous step in following him. I wonder what your nets are. What is it that you'll have to leave behind? Well, they dropped their nets. They followed him. And they would make mistakes and... And they would sometimes wander astray. But nevertheless, this small band of simple men would be known as Jesus obeying, as Jesus loving, as Jesus following, as Jesus centered, as Jesus haunted people for the rest of their lives. And still they would sometimes be confused by him. And, and sometimes they would walk away. But But in the end, they couldn't stand to be apart from him. 
And they would count it a privilege to suffer with him. And even some of them to die for him. Why? Because they had found in him the great why. That was so much bigger than all the little hows in the world. That's their story. Now, what I'd like to do is read on to the next part of the story. So if you still have your thumb in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 4, let's read on in verse 21. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat, and they left their father, and they followed him. Does that remind you of anything, that story? Isn't it the same story as the one that we just read? Played out in two more lives? There's nothing more irritating than unnecessary repetition, is there? There's nothing more irritating than unnecessary repetition. (laughs) Nothing more irritating than... What's Matthew doing? The reason Matthew does this is they're living in a day before there's typesetting and presses and there was no bold print or italics, capitals and lowercase. If you wanted to stress a point, this is how you did it. Through repetition. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The repetition of this story is the gospel's way of saying this is absolutely critical. This is crucial, and you cannot miss this. This is the great decision of human life. It's so important. This is the why. And Jesus puts this why into fresh language. You might even say it's kind of secular language. Language that these untrained, uneducated, uncouth fishermen are going to understand right away. If they'd been servants... He might have said, hey, you've been cleaning houses. Come with me. We're going to start cleaning hearts. If they were cobblers, he said, hey, you've been repairing souls. Come with me and we're going to heal souls. He probably wouldn't have said that. That's a little corny, isn't it? But but he says, follow me. And it's interesting. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll save you. Or follow me and everything will be fine in your life. He says, follow me and I'll use you. Follow me and together we're going to love the world and we're going to change the world. I'll give you a new why to live for. And then we're going to love and call the human race into this radically inclusive community. This redemptive community centered entirely around the message and the person of Jesus himself. And that message, that person will transform the human race into the family of God. That was Jesus' deal. Follow me and I'll send you out and we'll fish for people. The power of Jesus unleashed in people's lives. And I want to tell you folks that that's our why as a church. I was thinking about it this week. Our our church is going to be 47 years old starting next week, anniversary Sunday. What does it mean to be old? Hands up those of you who are more than 47 years old. Okay. Does that make you old? Oh. <laughs> Have you ever gone back to a high school reunion or a family reunion? You haven't seen people for decades. And you look across the room and you identify them. When you realize who it is, you say stuff like this. Hey, you look good. I, I can't believe how good you look. Have you had work done? 
Listen, when everybody says you look good, it's probably because you don't. Our world is filled with so much stuff, ads and products and cosmetics for how to look good. What we need is a why that sustains us when the word old begins to loom over us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said, follower of Jesus. He wrote, this is 2 Corinthians 4, if you want to follow along. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15. As God's grace reaches more and more people. That's his way of saying we've been out fishing for people. As God's grace reaches more and more people, they will offer to the glory of God more prayers and more thanksgiving. For this reason, we never become discouraged even though our physical being is gradually decaying. We're getting old. Yet our spiritual being is being renewed day by day. When is it that somebody really becomes old? It's not gray hair. The Bible actually says gray hair is a crown of splendor attained in the way of righteousness. Have a look around you. Anybody wearing crowns this morning? Maybe you just want to honor them. Just honor them. What makes somebody old is their spirit. It's when they lose their why. Paul says, inside, in my innermost person, my inner being, I'm being renewed. I'm getting stronger. I'm more energized. I feel younger. I'm not doing it myself. I've not had work done. When is it that a church gets old? It's not how many years that it's been around. It's when a church begins to get self-absorbed, self-preoccupied, investing more and more resources in its own comfort and familiarity and security and forgets that out there, the Mississauga Valley, that is going to grow by 100,000 more people in the next 25 years, There's a world of people that God loves who are facing sin and adversity and tragedy and death. It's when people forget the why that they really get old. It's not going to be us. If you'd like, think about it this way. Think about us as a three-chair church. Three chairs. We have a great past. That's one chair. And I have the great privilege of serving with past leaders in the life of the church. Pastor, what a privilege it is. We have a great present. God is here and doing things in people's lives. But but all of this is our way of saying, we want to make sure that we have a great future. That the church is fully prepared so that when the next generation are ready, they have everything that they need to engage this community well. The psalmist said, the things that our ancestors have told us, Psalm 78, we will tell to the next generation and they will learn the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders that he has done. We're a three-chair church, our ancestors and us. But then there's the next generation. We're also a Jesus church. You've heard us use that language before. Maybe it's simple language. Maybe it's repetitive, but... I never want to stray too far from it. We exist because over and over and over again, we see that people who didn't have much of a how in their life were transformed by this burning why that comes in Jesus. 
And folks, Jesus still is inviting people to come follow him. People who know that, yeah, we're inadequate. We're not smart enough. We're not spiritual enough. We don't feel mature enough or holy enough. But we're just going to keep casting our nets. We'll keep reaching out. We'll keep listening. We'll keep encouraging. We'll keep serving. We'll just keep loving. And then Jesus just keeps sending them out. You know, I saw it again this summer. The miracle of God reaching down into the life of someone who I thought was a million miles away from ever being interested in God. Somebody I never even dared hope might be interested. And then out of the blue, I watched as God just overwhelmed this person. And all of a sudden, they realized that Jesus was present in their life so strongly that they dropped to their knees and surrendered their life and said, I've fallen for him. I've fallen for Jesus. Jesus unleashed something in them. And it was awesome. That's our why. That's why we will try anything. We'll experiment with a whole bunch of hows. And there's lots of hows in here. But we'll experiment with them. We're not going to get locked into them. We will try any how for the sake of the great why, which is to live and serve the gospel of Jesus Christ and the one who brought it. That why centers us, it drives us as a church. So what are we going to do? Are you just going to sit there? (laughs) Are we going to (laughs) fish? Let's pray together. Stir us up, Lord. Fire us up. Wake us up. Speak to us. But more than just the ability to hear, more than just the ability to process and understand, give us the boldness and courage to respond. To move past the nets that have tied us down and to use what God has given us to mobilize the resources He's entrusted to us to live out in the places that he has situated us the opportunity to follow to live out that great why in our lives come follow me Jesus said and he waits for us to respond let our response be clear in Jesus name we pray Amen